0: Praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a praise in that. My goodness. As I was watching them sing, I thought, you know, that kind of reminds me of the great wall that's in heaven, of the different stone foundations and all the different rainbow colors that's upon it. And when the glory of the Lord walks upon it, the the brightness of those stones begin to reflect all the different colors of covenant throughout heaven. And it's a constant reminder of God's covenant with man and the beauty and the splendor that's going to be there. And I looked up here and I seen seven diamonds. I just seen diamonds out of the rough this morning. And how that when people are used in their giftedness and their callings, how that the beauty of God's glory is seen through their lives. And I tell you, that was just absolutely marvelous. Could you not say amen to that? (laughs) Praise the Lord. The diamonds given off their radiant glory for the glory of the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I apologize that we did not get that scripture earlier to you on the internet, but I've been a little bit kind of detained with some problems. And... And I've just not had the time or the opportunity to call in to Steve, and uh, been dealing with an issue with the back. But we're we're doing better. Thank the Lord for the prayers. We thank you for that. Uh, we're, we're hanging in tough, and the Lord's going to help us. First Thessalonians chapter five, starting with verse nineteen, we're going to be going through verse twenty-three. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen through twenty-three. I hope they can get it on the board. I, I didn't even call it in for that. It wasn't on my mind to do so. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 19. Quench not the spirit. If you want to memorize some scriptures, these are the best scriptures to memorize, all right? <clears throat> Say, quench not the spirit. Verse 20 says, despise not prophecy. Verse 21 says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bob, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word this morning, please? Amen. <clears throat> you know, the topic that we're going to be preaching on this morning is impossible to preach everything that there is to uncover within a single sermon. As a matter of fact, we could preach month after month after month after month on this topic and still not unveil everything that there is to know about this topic. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I fully understand it myself. When you begin to dive into God's Word sometimes, you just say, the more you study, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you find out you didn't know as much as what you thought. Has anybody ever been there? And this topic is very complex. This topic is a very hard topic to be discussing, and we're gonna be talking a little bit about it today. I want to focus mainly on verse 23 where the Apostle Paul wrote, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that Paul reveals three aspects of man to where he is to sanctify himself unto God. The word sanctify is a very strong word. As a matter of fact, sanctification, we, we, even though we understand the surface of it, the more you begin to try to understand sanctification, the more that you can find yourself learning new depths about being set apart like you've never seen before. But Paul addresses the issues of sanctification of spirit, soul, and body. Look, the word sanctify means to be set apart, to be conse- to consecrate, to declare holy, to free from sin and impurities, to purify, and to be morally right. Now, Paul is telling us that we are to be purified and to be made holy in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. And our spirit, soul, and body must be morally right and set apart for the use of God. That's why that we are saved. We are to be meat for master's use. You and I are saved for purpose. We are saved to be set apart for God's use. For God's working in our lives. That you and I would be light into a dark place. But first of all, this is why he used the words of verse 23, such as holy and whole. Notice that he said, in the very God of peace sanctify you holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. He's not talking about H-O-L-Y, even though that we are to be holy with our holiness, no man shall see God, but he's using a different word here. He's saying sanctify you holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y, and then he says, and your whole, W-H-O-L-E, spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of this Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he uses the word holy and whole so that we would understand that we're not to come short of sanctification in any of these areas. He wants the total man complete. If there's one thing that I want you to know is that God does not want children wrapped up in bondage. There should not be one shackle, one chain, one stronghold in our lives. We are to be free. Whom the Son has set free, they're free indeed. We are to be complete in Jesus. How many believes that? We shouldn't be struggling all the time with sin issues. We shouldn't be struggling all the time in the flesh. We shouldn't be like roller coasters, ups and downs, highs and lows and pits and peaks. Even though there are high times and low times, yet our demeanor and our behavior and our attitudes and everything about us are to always be solid and mature in Jesus Christ. That he wants us to be complete. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be sanctified in body and in soul and in spirit. Now, there should not be any particular area remaining independent of itself, not being governed by the Spirit of the Lord. Every aspect of our lives are to be sensitive and yielded to the will and the purposes of God for why he called us. God wants you to be yielded, totally surrendered unto him. He wants you to lift up holy hands unto surrenderance, unto his lordship. Man is made in the image of God. He is a triune being. Man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. All three of these elements must be sanctified and literally set apart and made holy, H-O-L-Y. This is why he tells us in verse 19 not to quench the spirit. Matter of fact, Colossians chapter, uh, not Colossians, but Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 tells us that if we are led by the spirit, then we wouldn't fulfill the lust of our flesh. A Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 14, but as many as are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God it's the ones who are led by the spirit that he classifies as the sons of God and matter of fact if you keep looking in the scripture he says in verse 21 prove all things did you know it's our responsibilities to prove all things it was in 1st John chapter 4 where Paul uh, where John wrote he said test the spirits to see whether they be of God or not everything that goes on you and I are to have spiritual discernment and we are to test the spirits and then when we find out that they are good then he said then hold fast to that which is good. He said after you test it and it's proven to be good, hold fast to it. Cling to it. Have a hold of it. Let it grip your heart. And then he goes on in verse 23, abstain from all appearances of evil. Now I want you to notice when he says abstain from all appearances of evil, there are sometimes in all of our lives that we come up when we wonder, is that sin or is that not sin? If it has any element of the dark side to it at all, you are to abstain from it. It don't matter if you understand it or not. It doesn't matter. Whether or not you say, well, I can't prove in Scripture that it's sin. If it has a element of a dark side to it, or if you're even questioning, the Bible says abstain from it. Can I have an amen? It's so odd to me how that everybody wants to walk around in these gray areas their whole life in the, as a Christian, and that you look around and you see some of the things that's on their shirts, and you see things that they're connected to, and you see th- you see Christians walking around with skulls on their shirts. What kind of what kind of example is that? I want to tell you, well, there's nothing wrong with wearing a skull on your shirt. Well, there may not be, but it's a dark side. We don't want anything that has the very appearance of evil. Abstain from it. That's what he told. You cannot take a chance of linking, your, linking yourself up with something that you don't have a clue of what you're unleashing in your body, soul, or spirit. Can I have an amen? Folks, whatever you're tied to has a great influence upon your life. Can I have an amen? And if it even has a hint, the things that they're getting graved on their bodies, the things that they're doing to their bodies and different things, and everybody says, well, that's culture, but if it As a hint, if it even has a hint of appearance of evil, abstain from it. Can I have an amen? Is anybody with me here? Does anybody still believe in a holiness church? Come on, somebody help me preach. Now, why are we preaching like this? Because the purpose of our sanctification of body, soul, and spirit is for us to be found blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be literally uh, found blameless before the Lord? Of course, we don't want to be judged and found wanting. Matter of fact, in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, the Bible tells us that Peter is addressing about the end of the world. And he says, looking for a hastening of the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being a fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with first heat. Now he's talking about the very end time at the second coming of Jesus Christ and at the great white throne judgment after that there's going to be a fervent heat that's going to burn this world up. And he's talking about the dissolving the world that the heat's going to be so hot that the earth is going to melt like wax. But then he tells us something different in verse 13 about those of us that have a promise. He says, nevertheless we, according to the promise, we have a promise. How many of us as believers have a better promise than finding an earth full of fire melt like wax? He says, for we look for a new heaven's and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Though the earth is going to be dissolved, the earth is going to melt like wax. Yet we as Christians, we have a better hope. We look for a new heaven and a new earth built by God himself for you and I, where righteousness is at. But listen to what he says in verse 14 about entering into that place of a new heaven and a new earth. He said, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. You're the beloved. You should be looking for such things. Uh, you should be looking for the new heavens and the earth. You ought to be like Abraham. You ought to be looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And then he says be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless he said if you're going to go there you got to be without spot and you got to be blameless and this is why that Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 20 uh, and 22 concerning Christ's redemption for man how many knows that Jesus Christ has made a way for you and i to be complete he's made a way for you and i to be sanctified he's made a way for you and i to be justified in the sight of God he's made a way folks for you and I to be complete in body, soul, and spirit. We don't have to walk around defeated. We don't have to walk around in chains and in bondages and enslavement and enticements. You and I can be free in Jesus Christ. Can you have an amen? Listen to what the Bible says. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things of himself, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The Bible says that through the cross and through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness of sins and we can be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in the sight of God. That Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven. And then Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in a wicked world. Now Paul made it clear that we are to be blameless in a crooked society and we're to shine as lights in the world he said you are to be the sons of God and you are to be without rebuke In other words, God shouldn't have to be rebuking us all the time. The church shouldn't have to be correcting us all the time. We shouldn't have to be going around being rebuked and chastened of the Lord constantly. He said, you are the sons of God in a crooked generation, and you are to be a light shining in the world. And no doubt about it, we are to be holy, separated, consecrated people under our God. But Paul made it plain in Ephesians 4.27 when he says, Neither give place to the devil. Folks, if there's one thing that I want you to know, every time you allow a little gray area into your life, you're giving a you're giving place to the devil it's impossible to submit to temptation without submitting to the tempter amen When you submit to temptation, you're opening yourselves up to the wiles of the devil. Every single one of us that give in to any kind of a crave of the flesh or the crave of lust or the crave of the dark side, we're opening ourselves up to the bombardment of evil, of darkness. People unleash things in their homes and in their spirits and upon their children and upon their friends and upon their neighbors and their neighborhood and everything else that they can't even imagine by giving in to sin and temptation. There are things that we don't understand about it, but when we open ourselves up, we unleash things in the spirit world that we cannot see or understand. Don't give place to the devil. And then he says in Ephesians 5 26 and 27, speaking of the church, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. That God is looking for a holy people. God's looking for a people without blemish. We are to be a holy people both in body, soul, and spirit. And there are sins of the flesh, there are sins of the spirit and their sins of the body. We know this according to 2 Corinthians seven one, when Paul said, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God wants man complete. I'm glad that God's on my side. If God be for me, who can be against me? And God's made a way for Kent Miller to be complete. He's made a way for every single one of you to be complete, whole, a whole person, whole in Jesus Christ. But God wants man wholly sanctified and not just partial. Did you know it's impossible to have a body sanctified but not the spirit or the spirit sanctified and not the soul or the soul sanctified and not the spirit? And so we could twist those around and keep giving you the allegory. But you know why it's impossible? Because Paul said in Galatians 5 and 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, we know that leaven in Scripture is symbolic of sin. It's a type of sin. And a little sin causes the whole being of man to to sin, whether it be the sins of the body, whether it be the sins of the flesh. Flesh, or whether it be the sins of the soul or the spirit, it doesn't matter. What area or category you see in it affects the rest of the body. Can I have an amen? This is why that when Adam sinned, his soul and his spirit died in trespasses and sin, and his body would soon follow. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Romans 6 and 23 that the wages of sin is death. It brings forth death. We all understand the body. We know what it is. We know what it means when the Bible refers to a body of a person. We understand this is my physical body. Every one of us has one. And when you talk about the body, you're very familiar with it. However, the soul and the spirit are also two primary, immaterial parts that make up the total man himself. It can be confusing to attempt to discern the difference between the two, it's very hard. I don't I don't say that I know and understand it all, but I understand quite a bit of it. As a matter of fact, scholars have a hard time trying to somehow teach and, and discern the difference between the spirit and the soul as well. Because even though the scripture makes a distinction between the two, they are definitely described as a single unit coexisting from one another, yet they are also so closely linked and alike to the point that you cannot have one without having the other. If the soul is dead, the spirit is dead also. They are like the tri of God. They're three individual personalities, but yet coexisting as one. It's difficult to explain or understand everything there is to know about the soul and the spirit's workings. I don't think any of us understand it all. I don't have time to quote all of the scriptures concerning or revealing the difference between the two. How many knows there's a difference between man's spirit and man's soul? Of course there is. The Bible specifically lays that out. But I'm going to try to give you a little bit of understanding from scriptures how they operate and the importance to keep every aspect of our lives sanctified to the glory of God the Father. First of all, the spirit is the element in humanity that gives us the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. How many wants an intimate relationship with God? Then you gotta love him through your spirit man, that man that's been born again, that spirit that has come alive, that was dead and trespasses in sin. It is the spirit man that is learning, how, that learns you or gives you the connection to have intimacy with God. I want intimacy with God, don't you? And everything that we have intimacy with God does, it comes from the spirit man. Whenever the word spirit is used, it refers to the immaterial part of humanity that connects with God, who is spirit himself. How many knows that God is a spirit? The Bible tells us that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him, what? In spirit and in truth. Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians two fourteen that the natural man receiving not the things of the spirit of God because they are foolish unto him, neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. If the only way that you're gonna to try to serve God is through the body, through the flesh, through the act of yourself, then you're in trouble. You got to have a connection with God in the spirit. Can I have an amen? Your spirit means what gives you the connection with God. It's the way of communicating with God. Paul said in Romans 8 and 16, the spirit himself, talking about the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, man's spirit, that we are the children of God. How do we know that we're the children of God? By the connection and the relationship that we have spiritually. That I have a spirit that bears witness with God and God bears witness with me. Can I have an amen? But why is that? Because now I have the spirit of adoption to where I can cry out, Abba Father, Abba Father. My spirit recognizes him as my father. So the way that I communicate to God and the way that he communicates to me is through my spirit man. The way that God communicates to us is by our spirit. Therefore our spirit man is tied to what? Our intellect, our mind, and it governs our thought process. That's what our spirit does. The mind of man deals with our attitudes, our thoughts our motives our decisions our intentions therefore it's what determines our will i want to tell you folks that is a very serious thing there's a lot of things that you and i have to will to do not because we feel it not because we you know we, we we want to do it or don't want to do it sometimes i don't want to do things but i have to will it i have to do it because it's the right thing to do that comes from the strength of my spirit The more spiritually discerning that I come to the presence of God, the more that I'm able to walk out the will and the purposes of God. You and I have to understand that we have to build up the spirit man. If the spirit man is weak, everything about you is gonna fail and fall apart. Because I wanna tell you, it's that spirit man is where those thoughts, how many knows your thoughts, your motives, your attitudes, your intentions, all those things can get you in serious trouble. Hey Amen, I got somebody on my side finally. As I'm the only one that has to deal with my thoughts, am I the only one that has to deal with my attitude? Sometimes my motives, sometimes my intentions are not as pure as they should be. And we have to bring those things under submission to the obedience of Christ. So therefore that I am purifying and sanctifying my will every time I bring my thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ and pull down everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God that when I begin to get a a, a thought that goes contrary to the word of God, I have to deal with it. If not, then my spirit becomes flawed. So therefore, my thinking, my attitude, my actions will reflect that which is flawed by what I have caved into through a lack of sanctification of mind. Can I have an amen? Do you understand how important it is? If you got faulty thinking, everything about you's faulty. If you got stinking thinking, You'll be a stinking person. Can I have an amen? That's just the old country boy coming out in me. We have to bring our minds under subjection to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let our mind and our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes be pure in thy sight, O Lord. That's why David said, search me and know my thoughts and my inward parts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Let's just mention a few of the sins of the of the spirit. There are sins of the spirit. What are they? There are things like stubbornness. Stubbornness is a thing of the mind. How many knows uh, I've I've had this said to me more than once, and I'm not gonna tell you who said it. Millers are stubborn. You're a stubborn person, Kit Miller. You know where that comes from, probably, don't you? Amen. How many's ever been stubborn in their life? You bunch of liars. We're gonna have, have an altar full today. Yes, we've all been stubborn, wanting to think our own ways of thinking and our own ways of doing things, and, and we, we become stubborn, locked into things that sometimes are unhealthy for us to think. Stubbornness, rebellion, pride, stiff-neckedness, ego. Have you ever had an ego? Well, I wanna tell you, I didn't say a, a, a let go my Lego. I said ego, amen? And vainglory, heresies, it's belief. In other words, the spirit man, when you deal with the spirit man, you're dealing in the area of thoughts, of thinking, of belief. And I want to tell you, folks, we have a real problem in America today because we got a belief problem. things that we have come to justify in our minds and in our thoughts of what's acceptable in the sight of God, there's going to be a lot of people stand before the Lord, not blameless, but they're going to stand there in judgment because of the things that allowed their spirit man to deceive them in. Can I have an amen? We don't have to go into all of those areas. We have to find those areas out ourselves. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, to get a hold of yourself and really think, is this approvable in the sight of God? The spirit reveals a man's disposition, his attitude, whether it's either good or whether it's bad. Have you ever heard people use the phrase, he's a high-spirited man, or maybe he is a calm or gentle person? They were describing his attitude. They were describing his disposition. They were describing his spirit man because the spirit man is his intellect. It's what he thinks. It's what, who he is. It's what he's become because whatever a man thinks, that's what he will become. Can I have an amen? So we got to watch out and dis, and we got to sanctify the mind. We have, the, Some of the greatest battlegrounds that we have is the mind, the thinking process. We judge things. You know what? One of the biggest things that we do, we allow first impressions to dictate to us about somebody, and they can be so false, but we'll believe them because I know it, I know it, and you hear people, I don't know why I know it, but I know it. I want to tell you, assumption is the lowest base of knowledge there is, and most of the time, it is false. Find out facts about things before you bring judgment, test all things, prove all things. Can I have an amen? The soulless realm is different than that of the spirit man. The solace rim, though it is tied to the mind, the spirit, and the will, it is where the center of emotions are at. How many knows you all have emotions? Everybody says, oh, don't be so emotional. You can't help it. You're full of emotions. You were made that way by God. Amen? Emotions is a good thing, not a bad thing, unless they're unhealthy emotions, and then you don't want to be around anybody that's got bad emotions. But it's tied to the will in the sense that it dictates to the mind through its feelings. The soulless realm influences the spirit and the spirit influences the soul and they're interlinked together and it's so hard to determine the difference between the two. If the soul is not sanctified, you know what it does? We're talking about the soulless realm, the seat of emotion, if it's not sanctified, then it feeds false information through feelings to the spirit which causes the will to be influenced in a negative way. And if the spirit isn't sanctified, it feeds false information to the soul That causes and creates unhealthy emotions. Let me explain it this way. If the mind ain't right and it feeds false information to the soul, it produces an unhealthy emotion. It could be anxiety. It could be fear. It could be anger. It could be wrath. It could be anything. Because your mind's telling it something that's false. And the emotions is reacting. Vice versa, if you're not careful, if you are an emotional person and you're led by impulse and emotions and feelings, what, that's why the Bible says you're not to walk by feelings but by, or by sight, but by what? By faith. And here's the problem. A lot of people, they'll have an emotion, they feel it, and they'll, they'll, they'll just say, I don't care what anybody says, I feel it. Well, I want to tell you, your feelings lead you astray. Don't walk on your feelings, especially if it's an unhealthy, unholy feeling. If it's full of things that's poison, don't listen to it. Matter of fact, the sins of the soul is things like anger, wrath, malice, jealousy, envy, lust, strife, depression, fear, anxiety, and things of that nature. They are all in the realm of the emotions. The soul of man is the very essence of man. It's what determines our character. How many wants a holy character before God? Then you've got to have a healthy emotion. You've got to have a healthy soul. The soul of man is the, uh, uh, the eternal aspect of man. It's what determines whether you live or whether you die, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. The soul is man's very being, it's where his personality comes from. It was Peter when describing Noah and his family from being saved from the blood, he spoke to them as something kind of odd in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Those were they that were, those eight souls that were saved by water. Did you hear what he called them? He didn't refer to them as eight people or eight bodies, he said they were eight souls that were saved by water. He referred to them as eight souls. We as human beings don't only face things in the physical, but we also face things in the soulless realm and in the spirit realm. Some of the greatest fights that I've ever had in my life is in my soulless realm, in the realm of my emotions. Come on. Just as we have to fight to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ to make our spirit man healthy, to literally, our minds have to be brought under subjection, and so we hear a voice that says one thing. No, the Word of God says this. I don't care how real that feels. I don't care. I don't care how it's portrayed. I don't care how pretty it looks. If it's contrary to the Word, I have to bring that thought into captivity, and I have to take the Word of God and replace that negative with a positive, so that I can have a healthy spirit. Can I have an amen? Okay. But even as I have to bring every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ, then I can have a healthy spirit. Even so, I have to bring every emotion into captivity, the obedience of Christ also. Or we will have a negative emotion dictating to our intellect and cause us to make wrong decisions. If you're not careful, every time you feel a fear, that is not of God. Fear is not of God. I don't care how bad the situation is. Fear is not of God. How many knows your perfect love casteth out fear? God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and the power and of a sound mind. How many knows that we have to have controlled anger. Be angry and sin not. There's a healthy anger and there is a wrong, unhealthy anger. I and mean, a healthy anger is mad mothers on dr- dr- drunk drivers. That's okay. It's all right to be angry about an issue. But what is wrong about anger is wanting vengeance, anger being mad and throwing fits, and becoming untemperate and unself-controlled in your actions. We have to watch our soulless realm. If not, it's going to dictate to us how that we're going to act out in the body and it'll determine one's character and the character will be flawed. Can I have an amen? Is anybody getting this? Though the body is easily understood and comprehended by us as believers and it's not so complex as the spirit and the soul, yet you know what? We rarely pay attention to the sins of the flesh and where they actually come from. Everybody wants to say, I don't know why I'm sinning in this area. It's because you're not bringing your thoughts into captivity and you're not getting your emotions uh, 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 disciplined to the will of God. Because every sin that you act out in the flesh is coming from either your spirit or from your soul. Can I have an amen? Now, let's look at the sins of the body. There are sins of the body. The sins of the body are adultery. The Bible says that that's one one of the greatest sins of the body. As a matter of fact, there's a judgment of adultery. You not know that? Hello? There is physical, it's proven, those that commit adultery, there is physical conditions that happen to them that normally would not happen because there's a curse that comes with adultery. And then there's fornication. There's murder, drunkenness, sins of the flesh, fighting, brawling, stealing. Those are the sins of the body. Now, I don't have time to preach on all the sins of the spirit, the sins of the soul, sins of the body. And sometimes they're so interlinked, sometimes you can't even tell them apart. But I want us to see how that God breaks them down and how that they are manifested openly to warn us that they are blemished and they are need of repair. How many wants a warning from God? God will send us warnings. God will send every one of us warnings. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to lead and to guide us into all truth. The Spirit is here as our paraclete, one alongside him. He's not here just to bless us and give us Pentecostal explosions and make us feel goosebumps on the back of our neck and our hair stand up and have those wonderful, exciting experiences. But the Holy Spirit is here to paddle us when we need it, take us to the woodshed when we need it, and he's here to bring enlightenment to the areas of where we're failing God. He is to reprove all things to us. He's our divine paraclete. He's our teacher, our guide that leads us in all truth. And though we understand that we are here as agents of God upon the earth, yet we also gotta understand that we're in need of the agent himself to literally work through us because without him, we are nothing. Can I have an amen? First of all, we're gonna be judged in three categories in our life. I'm gonna to try to hurry because I know some of you are still having your Thanksgiving. I don't know if they announced it or not, but we're not having service tonight because we have a lot of people that are traveling and are having Thanksgiving today. And we want you to do that. But we're going to be judged mainly of all. How many knows you're going to be judged? There's once appointed a man to die, and then there comes a judgment. And when you stand before the great white throne, there are three main categories in which you're going to be judged under. There's a lot of different kinds of judgments, and them different kinds of judgments fall under one of these categories, okay? There's three main ju- ju- areas of judgment that you're going to be judged with. First of all, we're going to be judged according to our fruitfulness. Did you know that? You're going to be judged on what kind of fruit you have. How fruitful that you were as a Christian. Fruitfulness is derived from the soulless realm because we know that the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5 and 22, is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Hey, I said that slow. Give me a hand, a clap of appreciation. Can't say it again without saying it fast. My mind works too fast. Love, love joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, okay? That's the fruits of the Spirit. How many want those fruits of the Spirit? You want them? Reach out and grab them. Would you do that right now? Say, Lord, I want the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits are elements of healthy emotions. Love takes the place of lust. Joy takes the place of sadness. Peace takes the place of fear. Gentleness takes the place of violence. Meekness takes the place of haughtiness. And on and on and on we could go. It was Jesus who said in Matthew seven sixteen and 17, by their fruits you shall know them. Jesus judged by people's fruits. He knew who they were by their fruits. He said, you know, a good tree bringeth forth good fruit and a corrupt tree bringeth forth corrupt tree, fruit. And the tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is hewed down, cast down, and thrown in the fire. It's judged. Can I have an amen? You remember what he did when he found no figs upon the fig tree? I always, that, that message is a message I love preaching. But he walked by and he seen that the figs, the fig tree had no figs And yet it was not time for them. It wasn't even the season for figs. And he went over and he looked and he seen it and he cursed it and it withered. How many remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered? It died. Because it didn't have no figs. But the Bible says it wasn't time for figs. Why would he curse something when it wasn't even the season for figs? That's like going out in the, in the month of May and saying, uh-oh, that oak tree don't have no acorns, and acorns don't be produced until somewhere around August, but because it don't have no acorns in May, I'm going to curse it. That ain't fair, is it? Why did he do that for? You know why he done that? Because the fig tree always puts on figs before it puts on its leaves. And the Bible says that this fig tree had leaves and it caught his attention said, what in the world is that fig tree having leaves for this time of the year? And it walked over and he looked at that fig tree and he seen that it had leaves, but it had no figs. In other words, the leaves were saying, I got fruit. It was proclaiming that it had fruit because then the fruit comes on before the leaves and when the leaves comes on, that's a sign of healthiness, that the fruit is there. And when he went over there and there was leaves and no figs, he said, this thing has a loud profession, but it's hypocritical. And he killed it. How many of us are bearing forth the leaves of Christianity, but when God really looks down, there's real no fruit to back it up. God help us that we become not a fig tree that's cursed because we will be judged according to our fruitfulness. Can I have an amen? Amen. And we know what the fruit of the Spirit is. In order to see how healthy our soul is, how many wants to know how healthy your soul is? You really want to know how healthy your soul is? The only thing that we really have to do is examine and see what kind of fruit is being manifested from our soulish realm, from our tree. Is there love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance? Or... Is there anger, malice, wrath, jealousy, envy, strife, unforgiveness, doubt, fear, unbelief, intimidation, low self-esteem, pity, lack of self-control, mood swings, depression? We can go on and all of them are unhealthy emotions. Are you like a roller coaster in your emotional realm? Come on, somebody help me out here. Mood swings, you're not temperate, you're not self-controlled. One minute you're up, one minute you're down, one minute you're praising God, and the next minute you're falling apart. One minute you're blessing the body of Christ, the next minute you're on the internet crucifying it. Hello? That is unhealthy emotions. You have a problem in your soulish realm. You've not learned how to bring those feelings under subjection and understand there's false feelings. Don't let feelings dictate to you the behavior of your life. There are all kinds of unhealthy emotions that we can mention. But we have to ask ourselves, how much love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance are we pouring out in the kingdom of God and the world around us? What is our lives offering to the people of the world? What are we exhibiting? How are we influencing? Are we light in a crooked society? Are we the light of the world in a city set on a hill that Jesus said we're to be? Or do we allow the crooked society and the cares of life choke us and cause us to become unhinged and we display unhealthy emotions through spouting off and being mad and throwing temper tantrums and throwing fits and cussing and swearing and, You know, getting all upset and and judging and condemning with our mouths and things of that nature. We've got to watch. We are Christians. Everybody with me this morning? We all have to ask ourselves how's our spirit also, not just our emotions? We're going to be judged not only according to our fruit, but we're also going to be judged according to our attitude, our thoughts, and our words. Do you not know that? What did Jesus say? By your words, you'll either be justified or by your words, you're going to be condemned. What is the area of communication? What is the, where does the word process come from? It comes from the spirit man. Isn't that the area of communication that God communicates with us? Hello? Do you know you're going to be judged? Every idle word that you ever say is written down and you'll be held accountable for it. Woo! You know what I say? God, race my book, please. Please. God, through the blood of Jesus, forgive me of every idle word that I've ever spoken, every lie I've ever said, every false bearing, every title, every gossip, what God, everything that I've said that's been negative and wrong, unhealthy, unedifying. Please, God, erase it from my life. Can I have an amen? You know how many parents go around and look at their children and say, You're stupid, you're ignorant. You know what they're saying with their mouths? Their attitude stinks because they have a sense of feeling themselves. They're insecure in themselves and a lot of times they take it out on their children and then through the the unhealthy emotion that they're dealing with triggers the mind and their mind becomes faulty and then they say poison out on their family. Never call anybody stupid, ignorant, dumb. Come on. People can do dumb things, but that don't make them dumb because God wants them to be healthy. Use the word of edification to bless somebody instead of the words of condemnation to destroy them. Lift somebody up, for heaven's sakes. We're better than... I love Andy Griffin. There's a little boy riding his bicycle on a sidewalk. It's against the law. Barney Five. Arresting little boy. Andy comes, and these two are in a fight, a word fight. And the little boy's going, just mouthing off, and Barney's mouthing off. How many's ever seen that episode? I'm the only one. Oh, thank you, Lydia. You're honest. You like Andy Griffin, too. Speaks of our age, but that's okay. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this thing, the little boy and Andy and uh, Barney's there, and Andy's trying to calm them down. And all of a sudden, the little boy goes, nah, like that to Barney, and Barney goes, nah, back. And then he said, Barney, let's try to keep this up on a let's try to keep this on an adult level. Tries to bring him under subjection to his thought process because he's acting just like the little boy is. And what happens in the world is that when the world becomes unhinged, if we're not careful, we'll become unhinged right along with it because we'll retaliate in a negative way. I get upset at the house, and I've told you before, my emotions can run wild, and I threw pillows at the television because of the news that angers me sometimes of what's going on. But I want to tell you, in public, I have to bring those thoughts into captivity. I cannot be throwing things at people. i got to give them the love of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? You can't have a punching bag. The world can't be our punching bag as Christians and be mean-spirited in order to get back up. we got to love them through the love of Jesus Christ and preach truth to them. Can I have an amen? But we're going to be judged according to our words. Are we slandering, gossiping, murdering with our tongue? Negative. Don't get around negative people. Negative people, it's always somebody else's fault, and they're negative about everything that goes on in their life. Everything. Negative, negative, negative. Let everything be done to edifying. Paul says. Amen? You hang around a negative person, they'll pull you down right with that, and they'll get you to believe in things that ain't even true. They'll get you to believe in poison. I know a man that I've tried to be friends with and love him even as a pastor to reach out to him and everything out of that man's mouth is so negative I can't spend much time with him. And I love him and the more I love him the more negative he gets. He's even slandered me. And I thought, you know, I don't understand what causes people to be so negative about everything. Folks, if you'll look around, there's a lot of positives to be focused upon. Focus, focus upon the things, according to the Apostle Paul, the things that are lovely, the things that are, are just, the things that are holy, the things that are of good report. Think on the good things of life. Don't look at the negatives of everybody or they'll destroy you. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help me. I'm going to be closing here in a minute, in about 40 minutes. How's your demeanor? What is our motive for serving Christ for going to the church? Do we think on the things that are holy and just and good and pure and of good report? Are we negative about everything? Too loud, too cold. I don't like so and so. They're hypocritical. We'll be judged according to every single one of those words that we give out. If we tear somebody down and it affects the body of Christ or it affects the kingdom of God, we'll stand accountable before God. Of the damage that we've done to the very kingdom of God. oh God, help us. What is our intentions for the kingdom of God? What is our goal? What is our ambition? Do you even have any ambition or goals for what you want to see accomplished in the kingdom of God? We have goals in life. We have goals that we want to get a better home, a better job, we want to provide better for our children, we want our children to have a better education. All those things are wonderful. But what kind of goals? What kind of ambitions do you have for the kingdom? You are a kingdom person. You are born into the kingdom of God. Welcome to the family of God. But when you're born, welcome to the family of God. There's responsibility. Too much is given, much is required. We're saved by grace through faith. Now we're to live out grace through, uh, to others. Can I have an amen? G said, the ones that's the chiefest among you, let him be your servant. Learn to have a servant mentality. Instead of, no one called me or no one come by to see me. One guy not too long ago was so down on one of his church and he didn't go to church here, but he was just, uh, he said, I might try your church. I thought, oh, please don't. Because <laughs> man, he was blessed and everybody in there about when he was sick, no one come by to see him. I asked him, I said, how many hospitals have you ever visited? He said, well, none. I said, how many sick folks have you ever visited? He said, well, none. I want to tell you, whatever you sow, that's what you reap. You don't build relationships. You don't build friendships. A lot of times you're a person that is forgotten. I hate to say that. Hello? Let's be honest. Let's go on. I'm meddling I'm too much now. What's our motive or our attitude of worship? Why do we worship? Or even, do we even worship? Worship's our area of communication with God. Remember, the spirit realm is the place where we communicate. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the mouth is not worshiping, magnifying, glorifying, edifying, lifting up, then what is the heart condition? By what it is speaking, you can, be, you can know whether or not it's flawed. What are you talking about the most? Come on. How's our devotional life? How's our prayer life? How's our study life? was the way we communicate with God? Compared to what we give the world and to ourselves, how much does the kingdom of God fare? Are we spending more time upon ourselves than we are the kingdom? Are we selfish, self-centered, stubborn, rebellious, prideful, stiff-necked? The Lord spoke to me, and it's kind of odd that he said this to me this week. I was laying there, and when you got pain in your body, you can't really concentrate. And I was praying, Lord, would you please help me with this sermon? And I'm laying there on the couch trying to roll around and try to get myself positioned to where I could study. And I I was just having a hard time focusing, especially when you're highly medicated, you know, spaced out. I said, Lord, don't let me get up and say something silly today because right before I came, I took my pain pills. And I thought, I'm going to get up there and get glassy-eyed and there ain't going to tell them what I might say. Amen. But I get up, I'm rolling around on the couch and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He said, there's going to be people at the palace Sunday morning that literally despise prophecy. I said, do what? And the scripture says despise, not Prophecy. Prophecy is the way an area of communication. I said, well, Lord, I don't understand what you're saying. And Paul said, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. And the Lord spoke to me and said that there have been people that have even sat in groups and even said these words, said that those spiritual things are unnecessary. Some of them are crazy and weird. I don't know if I believe in all of them. They're just not for me. Let them, let other people do them, but not me. Everybody that has ever said that, your spirit man's in trouble. Every single one of us should discern and desire The best of gifts. We should want everything that God's got to offer. And when prophecy goes out and we cannot even discern it, as God's speaking to us, we're in trouble. Our spirit man is unhealthy. It is sick. Despise not prophecy. Then there's the body that we're going to deal with. We deal with the spirit and the soul. The body is where actions are displayed. It's living out what the spirit and the emotions actually dictate. Not know that? If you're doing some strange things and you know you shouldn't be doing them, guess what? You got a flawed spirit and you got a flawed soul. Because your body's manifesting who you really are. Can I have an amen? Not only are we going to be judged according to our fruitfulness, not only are we going to be judged according to our thought process, our words, spirit man, that soul, spirit, we're going to be judged according to the body, the actions which is our works. How many of us are going to be judged according to your works? Of course you are. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever accomplished is written down. When we stand before heaven, it's going to be like a big computer. Everything that we've ever done is going to be flashed before our eyes. There's nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. There's nothing covered that shall not be made known. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That when I stand before God, from my childhood all the way to the time of my death, everything before me is going to flash right before me and God. And I pray that those things that are bad are under the blood of Jesus to where they've been taken out. They've been edited. Oh, please, God. Amen? But the sins of the body are very real. Thousands, we can mention thousands and thousands of them. As a matter of fact, how many know that when we sin, uh, most of us you know know when we sin and we know that we're sinning before we ever even do it. How many knows that? Sure we do. God wants me to deal with one area of the sins of the body that will be judged, and that's the gift our works. And the one that it reveals more than anything, our works are going to be revealed. You know, we could be judged according to our our servanthood. We could be judged according to our kindness, our generosity, and all that kind of a thing. But the area that the Lord laid on my heart for this morning is totally odd. It's a topic I hate preaching on. I've only preached on it a handful of times in 30-some years. And you'll understand why here in just a few moments. But the area that reveals who you are more than anything is your stewardship before God. This is going to reveal your true character right here. I want to give you a few facts concerning stewardship in the body of Christ. First of all, I want you to know this week has been a week of thanksgiving. The motive, the intent, the attitude of everything we do is revealed in our thankfulness. How many believes that? One of the prominent sins in the last days list in Paul's list to young Timothy, this is what he said. He said that there would be a spirit of unthankfulness. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Six out of seven of these sins are all tied together. Selfishness, covetousness, boasters, proud, unthankful and unholy. Our thankfulness is revealed in our giving. How many knows that? If you're thankful, you're not stingy. If you're thankful, you don't consume things upon yourself. If you're thankful, you're a giving person because you're giving back that which has been given to you. Freely you have received, freely you give. Everything about your character will be revealed in your stewardship. Can I have an amen? They are all revealed in the area of stewardship because in the act of giving, our stewardship manifests more of the inner self than anything else that we do. Words are cheap. I love you, Lord. I adore you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. We can jump with our emotion. We get all caught up in emotions and we can dance and we can shout and we can jump. We can sing. We have adorations with our mouths. And yet... We can deny God in stewardship and everything else that we just done said it's flawed hypocrisy. It's nothing but a fig tree with leaves and no fruit. Whoo! Isn't that true? That all that was was a bunch of hype emotions caught up in the time and the moment but there was no substance to it. How many knows there's got to be substance to your worship? Amen? Not only do you worship in spirit you got to worship in truth. Be true about where you're at. Come on. Why is it so quiet in here today? Because we got to understand that the stewardship of our lives reveal more about us than anything else that we do. For example, he mentioned selfishness. Selfishness is consuming things upon yourself, being lovers of pleasure is more than lovers of God. Selfishness. Covetousness is what? Wanting something that belongs to someone else. You know what? The number one thing that is coveted, what do you think that it is? Shot me and it dawned on me later on. You know what? The number one thing that is coveted tithe. Because there's a big percentage of the body of Christ not tithing, and it don't belong to us, it belongs to God. Woo! Let's go on. It's getting tied in here. Boasting, bragging about what one possesses. Unthankful is not appreciating what one has. Unholy is not doing right with what you got. Immoral behavior. Now, I just want to give you a few facts concerning stewardship of the body of Christ. Number one, if your emotions don't get excited to give, you've got a flawed soul. Hello? You're not to give out of necessity and out of want. You know how most people are encouraged to give? You know when people give the most? Is when they get up there and show a bunch of little children starving together, starving, and their bellies are blowed up and they're dying, and they trigger the emotion of a person and they give out of the seat of their emotion. That's wrong giving. Hello? It's all right to give, but if that's the only reason that you give, that's a flawed emotion. Because I wanna tell you something, you're to give hilariously. Not out of necessity, not out of want, but you're to be a cheerful giver at all times. Your nature ought to be a giving person. Amen? And if you are not, if your intellect don't get excited about giving, how many knows it's hard to get excited about giving? I've wrestled with my wallet before when God spoke to me. I've had several times when I had that that he money, that hid money, be in a service and saved and scrapped, scrapped, and done everything I could to get it, and all of a sudden be sitting in a service, and God say, I want you to give this amount of money. I thought I'd outsmart God when I was younger. You know what I'd done? I quit putting it in my wallet on Sundays. And I came to church. And God told me to give a certain amount of money. And I thought, is He gonna make me do that later on? And God said, No, I want to get you to give it to you today. And I said, Lord, I don't have it with me. He said, Jenny gave you a checkbook to pay that bill, and you ain't paid it, you ain't paid out of that checkbook. I hadn't looked at there as a check leaf, and I had to write a check for it. Amen. That's grudgingly giving. My intellect was not happy, but I had a flawed spirit. You know what the Bible says? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So when that evil thought comes to me, hang on to it, don't do it. I got to bring that thought into captivity, obedience to Christ, and quote that scripture it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And by faith, though it's hard for me to do, in the faith I'm doing it as an act of devotion to my spirit. My spirit man shall rule, and not the the flawed spirit that's inside of me. Amen. Can I have an amen? That's how you sanctify the spirit. Now let's go on. Did you know there are eight major things that people spend more money on than they do the kingdom of God? I want to mention them real fast and move on. Number eight is travel and vacation. Is it wrong to take a vacation? Absolutely not. But they say that God pays for more vacations for believers than anybody else. Isn't that sad? They said that the beach and Disneyland and Branson and places like that get more tithe money than the church does from most folks. Lord help us. In the old days, it used to be like 90 some percent of the people, all of the saints that were in the church paid tithes. I forget what it is now. I looked it up and I forgot it. But the national average is down now almost to 57% or 54% or something like that. Can you imagine how much we've deteriorated in the area of giving? You know why we've deteriorated in the area of giving? It's because our spirits and our souls are flawed. We've not abstained from evil. We've not proven all things. We've not held fast to that which is good. Come on. Come on. And as a result of it, it shows up in our character, in our behavior, in our spirit man, in our soul, and it's reflected and manifested in our body. I'm gonna have you out in just a few minutes. Number six, or number seven, eating out. People spend more money on food eating out than they do in their tithe and offering to the Lord you know Paul dealt with them they said they're haters of God boy he's hard on them in Philippians 3.19 and he says that they feel their appetites they feel their bellies and their bellies is their God isn't that sad that some people are consumed some of our and we're kind of guilty of it ourselves at times I have to bring that into check every once in a while is we're talking about what we're going to eat before before the day ever even where we're going out to eat tomorrow come on is there anything wrong with eating out no but there's people that spend more money eating out than they do in a sacrificial offering or gift or a missionary offering than they do. They spend more eating out than they do in those areas. The sixth one is hobbies, sports. Guys, we're living in a sick world when somebody can sign a $400 million contract to play baseball. Amen? We're We're crazy. We're crazy when we let people kneel and disrespect our national anthem and our flag and we're paying them millions of dollars and they're saying America's unfair. I want to say ship them dudes overseas and let them try to play football or so. See how much they get paid. It's crazy. I don't even watch football anymore. I boycotted them. You know, I'm not telling you to do that, but I want to tell you that's craziness. Oh, that's my pet peeve. I got to watch out. I'm going to have an unhealthy emotion right now. <laughs> Amen. And then, number five is addictions. Whether people are addicted to collecting, they're addicted to tobacco, they're addicted to alcohol, just addictions. You can name any of them. And they'll tell you that the addictions far outweigh the faithfulness to God in giving that they'll spend way more on their addictions to get what they want, being, bringing pleasure to themselves than they will to the kingdom of God. Number four, media, entertainment. I won't preach there. Number three, number two and number one are so closely nicked. One month, one will outweigh the other. They're right there together. Number three used to be number one and has been number one for years and years and years, but it's changed. Number three is pets. People spend more on poochy pooch than they do the kingdom of God. They buy more is spent on dog food alone in America than all of the giving to churches combined. More is spent on manicures. Did you hear that? Manicures and dog clothing and pet toys. And is it wrong to have a pet and treat it right? No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that. But I am saying that when you spend more on dog food and manicures and, and toys and clothing for your dog than you do the kingdom of God, you're out of balance when a dog is more important than a human being that's dying and going to hell. Can I have an amen? It's getting tied in here. They're even now having dog funerals being buried in dog cemeteries that's costing thousands of dollars. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine that. But It's happening. Then there's beauty aids is number two because people are all about their image and people are spending millions of dollars to look pretty and look nice. It's all imagery. And number one, fashionable clothes. The people are spending more on fashionable clothes than they are the kingdom of God. They're wanting to have the latest fads. Instead of buying their kid a reasonable pair of shoes that could cost 30, 40 bucks, they're buying them for $200 now but they're buying them in the sense of saying, I want to make sure my boy ain't going to be kidded at school. I'm going to buy him the best of shoes, $200. But I can't pay my tithes because God understands. I want my kid to be popular. Hello? Jesus said, wherever your heart is, there will be your treasure also. You show me your checkbook and you show me your credit card bill and I'll show you where your heart's at. Whatever you spend the most on is what your focus is. Isn't it odd that when Jesus used the word mammon in Scripture, he described it as a master." Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. He said, why are you going to be hot between two opinions? We cannot serve two masters. Either we'll hate the one, despise the other, we'll cling to one and hold to the other. You cannot cannot serve God and money. The body is being judged according to its obedience in the area of giving. I don't have time to preach anymore because it's time to stop. I feel that in my spirit. There's a lot to be said about stewardship. But I want to tell you something, folks. When it comes to stewardship, it's not just about tithing. People don't even know the difference between tithing and offering and, and missions. Tithing is that which God requires. It's what God says, you have to give it. If you don't give it, you're gonna be cursed with a curse. The first 10th is mine. You don't pay all your bills and then say, well, what is left over? No, you pay your tithe first and then you pay your bills. And some people say, well, I can't live like that. Then you're gonna to have to adjust your living because 57% of all Americans are living beyond their means. And if they get a raise, you know what they do? They just increase their spending. They don't budget. They rob Peter to pay Paul and they're always struggling and they're living above their means. They heap upon themselves. They go out and they entertain themselves. They go out and they do all kinds of these things that I just preached on. And then they say, well, we can't afford to pay our tithes. And you may have to lower your rent by moving into a different place. Because just paying your tithes ain't gonna fix your problem of overspending. Well, I tithe and I try it and I come under the gun, then you gotta put yourself on a budget. Woo, man, it's tight, tight now. Amen. You might have to quit trying to buy a new car and buy a used car. Hello? But when it comes to this area of giving, it reveals who we are. My wife is literally the shop of me in the area of giving. I've said that over and over and over. She is a giving woman. She gives to it gets on my nerves. I have to control my unhealthy emotions. I don't even look anymore in the checkbook. She's got the checkbook, it's hers. She just gives, 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 gives. Every time I turn around, she'll say, I bought this for the church. Can I bought this for this? And can you take that off your taxes? She's always giving me these receipts. I look at them, I'm like, no, we'll see. I'm just used to it now. Just give, give, give. And it just seems like the more that that woman gives, the more we make. I don't even know how it works. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody's coming by and giving me something. Come on, there's benefits to this thing. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, they write off a several thousand dollar bill to a hospital for me. How, how does that work? When do they ever do that kind of a thing? Come on. Every time I turn around, I see my children blessed. I want to tell you, that's something where God's devoured the devourer of your sake for cause of your tithe and your offering. Can I have an Amen. Closing, there is Jericho as a prime example. That God says to Joshua, go over to the city. You know, march around it every day. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. On the seventh, and don't say a word. On the seventh day, when you march around the seventh time, at the end of the seventh time, blow the shofar, blow the trumpet, and shout with a loud shout. And when they did, the walls come tumbling down. They went in and they took that mighty city of Jericho. And God said, the only thing that I require of you is when you take that, do not take any of the spoils. That first city is mine. It's a tithe unto me. Don't take any of the spoils. You can have the rest of the nine cities. Everything the rest of the nine cities will have will be the spoils of the children of Israel. Can you imagine taking the spoils of nine cities? But one man by the name of Achan takes, he looks in the city of Jericho. He sees a Babylonian garment. He sees some gold and he sees some silver. And he places it and he puts it in his tent, buries it in his tent where no one knows it. A few days later, they said, well, let's now go over to the next city and let, let us go up and take, take it and let's get the spoils, and then we'll divide the spoils among the children of Israel because this is in a tithe to the Lord. This is what you're going to live off of. This is going to be your blessing. All the gold, the silver, everything they got will be yours. So they sent out spies. The spies came back and said, hey, man, it's just a little bitty hole in the wall. You know, that's a fisk Missouri. Ain't nothing there. You notice I didn't say Dudley. I said fisk. There's nobody there. It's just a small little place. Oh, we'll just take 3,000 men over there. We'll whip them and we'll come back with all their spoils. There's no sense sending the whole army. No big deal. So they sent the 3,000 men. Sounded good to Joshua. They sent them and they got over there and they got their tails beat off. 36 of them were killed. Many, many, many of them were wounded being carried back. And they came back and said, we don't know. We were chased all the way back home. That little place is mean. And Joshua said, well, what in the world? Is that all about? He went to prayer and God said there's sin in the camp. Notice what not tithing is. It's sin. And then he says he knows right where it's at and he gets aching and he sees it and they have to kill it. Kill him and bring judgment upon him for the plague to be stayed. Can I have an amen? Over him burying his tithes he robbed from God. Dorothy Nixon was one of my favorite storytellers about her tithe and offering. She was a Mother that was raising her children by herself didn't have a car. She walked to work every single day for several, several blocks in a city. And she would walk by a donut place. And in the morning, some of them gathered there. And she would have a donut, maybe two, and a cup of coffee. And then she would walk on to work. But once a week, she would walk by and she would not go in there for a solid week, she, whatever it cost every day to buy a donut and a cup of coffee, she'd take that money and put it aside in her purse. And she would fast her breakfast. And she, she said, it might not seem that much, but she said, I was a single parent with my children working on a very low income. And she said, the Lord laid it on my heart to give to missions. And she said, so once a week, every week a month, well, I mean, I said that wrong, one week a month, she'd done this for a whole week, Every month, she'd set that money up Whatever that donut and coffee, she'd fast. She wouldn't buy it. And she'd put that money back in her purse. And then every month, she would turn in her mission offering. It was sacrificial to her. And she said, I don't know how I've done it, but all these years, I have sustained my family by the power of God through giving. Would you stand with me, please?